Welcome to Chasing Encounters, a podcast about stories, languages, cultures, and identities. We highlight diversity and intersectionality in contemporary society through respectful and thought-provoking conversations. Hello everybody, this is Jacinto Ortega and this is Chasing Encounters. Today we are recording here in the park in downtown Toronto. Very beautiful date, almost evening. Very nice weather. We are recording season five, episode number eight. We are wrapping up this season and we're gonna say thank you to all of do, those of you who have been listening to us in the past few years and this year also you know i know it has been difficult in during the pandemic and we hope that this podcast series have been helping you to cope somehow to listen to various voices from different parts of the world and today obviously as always we have very important people in the program today we have my friend fernando calderon He is from Peru, living in Canada, here in Toronto. He is a PhD candidate in the Department of Sociology. And then we'll be having a nice conversation about different topics uh, related to his interest in social capital, in how cities are designed. Welcome to the program, Fernando. Thank you. Thank you, Jose. So... Um, Uh, so many of you know that uh, in my podcast, uh, Chasing Encounters, is about languages and cultures and identities. So the first thing that we ask our guest in um, in the first part of the of the of the episode is about where you are coming from. So tell us a little bit about your family, who you are, where you're coming from, uh, where you were born, and anything that you want to share with us, because really we really want to get to know those <coughs> folks come to our podcast. Sure. So uh, I grew up in Peru. Uh, I moved here to Canada in 20, 2015. Um, I grew up in about five cities of Peru. I was born in a northern coastal city called Buda, um, where the best food is of the country. And there's really nice weather, uh, the best beaches. And I'm a really proud Burano. Mm. I moved a lot growing up because uh, my dad was in the military service, so I, I moved to these different cities. I grew up in uh, part in Piura, I moved to Lima, I moved to Arequipa in the south, Tacna in the border with Chile. So I, I grew up in different cities. My family is a combination of different parts of the country. My grandparents were from uh, several cities in, in Peru, so I have a little bit of uh, a mix of uh, a geographic uh, combinations of, the, of, of what it means to be Peruvian, I think. One of my grandmothers was Afro-Peruvian, my other grandmother is Quechua. And so yeah, that's a bit of, of, of my background. And I studied in university in Lima. I've, been, I've lived in Lima for several years after, uh, after that. Um, I got married and moved to Canada in in 2015 with my wife Roxana. So yeah, that's about it. No, oh, very interesting. One one of the things that caught my attention, especially about the place where you were born, and you mentioned that you were born in Pura in Peru. You mentioned the best food, best beaches, the best everything. Tell us a little bit about that, especially for our audience. They want to know why is it that they have the best food? What kind of food is it there? 
So, uh, <clears throat> Piura is, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, my interests as a, as a scholar right now um, have to do with geography and, ter like, and territoriality and, and, and land and, and, and social interactions. And I think in part that's because I've got to, I've lived in so many cities and I've, I've tried to observe how these elements uh, come about together. And growing up, I think like the one thing that Buda you can tell about the city is that it's a place of encounter from different parts of the northern region of Peru. So, for instance, uh, one of the most traditional, uh, it's not necessarily a dish, it's more like, um, uh, what would you call it, like something you would, you would snack with, it's called chifles, which is kind of like plantain chips, but with a, with a twist, with a slight twist. That's... Uh, and that's an interesting uh, thing to have in, in, in the region because Piura is, is in the middle of a desert. It's a small, it's a narrow valley <clears throat> around the river, uh, surrounded by desert. So you wonder, why would we eat plantain? And the thing is that it's because a lot of the production that comes from the northern Amazon, so like this, the region of the Amazon forest in the border with Ecuador, a lot of the commerce that happens around that goes to Piura in their way to the port when it gets for export for um, when, when it needs to be moved or transported to, to somewhere else. There's a lot of uh, food based on that. We're also close to the ocean, so we have amazing uh, seafood. There's a lot of <clears throat> uh, and there's a lot of great ajíes, which are kind of chilies uh, that we use in Peruvian cuisine that grow particularly well in Piura. And the star dish of it all, uh, if you are familiar with Peru at all, you probably have heard of ceviche. So ceviche is probably one of the best dishes that Peru has and it's best prepared in Piura uh, because we have the best limes in the country and some of the best fish. So, yeah. So you heard it, you heard it Fox. If you ever go to Peru, make sure to go to Piura because they have the best ceviche in the planet with the best beaches and the best wine. So make sure to send an email to Fernando so they can welcome you in Pura at some point in the future. So now one of the things that caught my attention about you as you were speaking is the relationship between geography, territoriality and society. And I am assuming that some of this is kind of related to the work that you do uh, in sociology, right? So probably uh, you want to spend some minutes to illustrate us or illuminate us in the work that you do in relation to geography and uh, territoriality. I have a, a bunch of passions that I've tried to... I'm, I've been lucky and privileged enough to transform into a professional interest. Uh, so I, I love arts a lot of uh, I love to play music and I love uh, to draw and when I was growing up I was good in school I was good in math in particular so uh, when I came to decide what I want to do for um, for my future my parents thought that meant like being good at math and drawing meant I should be an engineer a civil engineer or something like that uh, I wasn't really sure what I wanted, so I kind of pushed my way into architecture school. Uh, and that's how I began uh, my interest in cities. 
because I became really intrigued about how uh, things were designed for people. So for instance, uh, I had these experiences growing up of feeling uh, a little chilly in the evenings, especially in the winter uh, months in Lima, around July and August, and feeling this kind of need for shelter and thinking how amazing it is that humans have developed all of these technologies to shelter ourselves. And, and that just kept going, coming back to me as an interest, like how we, we've adapted the world to our needs in many ways. Um, so that's how it, like, I became interested in all of this. And, uh, and, uh, but architecture school wasn't for me. I really uh, struggled with some parts of, of the whole experience, which were less artistic and more engineering <laughs> to say to say something which kind of um, that's why I, I ended up switching to sociology uh, after I take I took a class I, ha I didn't know what sociology was before coming into university so I encountered it in a, in a class and that's how I ended up starting uh, my interest in sociology but I became more and more interested in one specific realm within sociology, urban sociology uh, that has a particular connection with uh, space, uh, how uh, people interact over, uh, especially in cities but more generally with the environment they live in. Um, so that's how I ended up coming to, to Toronto to do first a master's and now a PhD and I found um, a really cool project that uh, my supervisor invited me, invited me to about the it was called the political order of the cities uh, about how voting patterns are structured around um, dif the different city configurations or like different ways that cities are designed or parts of the city are designed so basically the, the, the point was to say if you look uh, for patterns of how people vote one of the patterns are not just because of racial composition or, or ethnic background or even economic interest. A lot of times it's where they live. People, depending on what part of the city they, they live, uh, people would tend to vote in a similar direction, which is a very interesting finding uh, within social, social sciences in general. So I started my interest in, in a lot of... I, I, regained my interest in, in urban sociology because of this experience and, and since then I've been working on my dissertation project that is the, project, like the, biggest, the biggest project I'm in right now that's about the impact of built environment and urban design in the sentiments of community, um, social capital, trust among people and I'm doing this in hopefully, hopefully a study that goes across or it's it's a three-paper dissertation, so it's one. Uh, I'm doing one around Canadian cities. I started with Toronto, but I may expand it. I'm doing another one around Lima, uh, one of my the one of the cities I grew up in, and uh, the third one is still about Bogota. But I have to um, I have to go, go get back to that because there may there's a chance it may switch. But for now, at least it's still about Bogota, and and, and it's a. Um, a project I'm, I'm very passionate about, so I can tell you more about some of that stuff. No, later. definitely. No, something that I really like about um, today's encounter with Fernando is because uh, I personally like to bring on board to this podcast divergent ideas, but not divergent ideas in the sense that they're uh, transgressive to other people in general, but divergent in the sense that. Um, these are topics that I don't manage, these are topics that I don't understand much about them, 
but I like to welcome them so I can understand more about what other people are doing and maybe help me to understand society in general. And I, I like what you mentioned, housing or design as a human technology. And that's something that I never thought about, uh, the idea of, of a technology for to shelter, right? And then this has been developed for, I guess there's a history of that. And then there's a history of how this technology has been used in North America and elsewhere, right? And that's exactly what you've been studying, right? And I perhaps the follow-up question to that is probably you can expand a little bit on, on you mentioned that you are sort of doing research in Canadian cities, specifically in Toronto. So can you let us understand a little bit more in depth about the work specifically about Toronto? The thing about moving a lot uh, when you grow up, and I think you said you're probably familiar with this, is that one of the things that you develop as a skill is the sense of adaptation. And in order to adapt, uh, at least my experience was, my way to adapt was become uh, incredibly familiar with the city I moved to. To the point that, uh, for instance, in Peru, regional accents are very clear. Well, I, I'm guessing a lot of Latin America it is like that, especially in large, in large countries like ours. And every time I moved, I tended to adopt to adapt the language, the the the, the accent of each region, right? So uh, I'm from the north, uh, on the north coast. So I have a specific accent when I'm with my family. I talk in a certain way that I don't talk normally with my friends from Lima. So I kind of have this adaptation strategies. And one of the things that happened when I moved here was that I became fascinated with Toronto as a city and, and how it had this, like it's, it's a layered city to my, in, in, my, in the way I, I, I perceive it. Like there are cities that have uh, some like that you become familiar with kind of quickly because they're very uh, somewhat easy to read or maybe because they're more familiar from like media and movies like New York Chicago or things like that that you kind of like can read from previous understanding Toronto doesn't show up as much although there's a bit more now at least in the experience of people from Peru and I think one of the things that fascinated me from the beginning was uh, how much the city changes in the summertime. Right now it, it's June and you have all these festivals and people are on the streets and, and they're all like hanging out and you, you get to enjoy the city in a way that other cities um, are, are difficult to do that. It's because sometimes there's not enough parks, there's not enough public spaces uh, or there's stigma around uh, hanging out in public spaces because you're supposed to be, you know, looking at the green uh, areas and like and there's this famous uh, vignette by Kino, one of these uh, Latin American cartoonists, um, a genius. That's about public spaces and it's basically um, there's like there's this there are these two kids in the park. Uh, there's uh, uh, and the park is surrounded by green areas and there's this police officer saying for you, you're not supposed to touch anything right like so everything is like don't uh, approach the, the the soil because it's going to get uh, yeah like they protect the, the, the green spaces they protect the statues things like that We're, so that's part of like what i think i encountered as a as a cool thing about this city was to see all of the activity that comes about in the summer but not just in the summer like even in the winter there's so much to do so i, I the main thing for me became so 
what is it that designing cities in this way? It, and it's not that Toronto is exact, exact, like that across the board. Like it's a it's a very varied city. Like there are parts of the city that are much more residential that have like lower um, the lower density. So there are not as many people in the streets. There are not as many, perhaps there are parks, but they're more like private kind of things, or people spend more time in their backyards. But you have all of these di different ways that the city has been designed, and, and you can tell. For instance, when you go to parts of downtown Toronto versus, uh, or even parts of now North York, parts of Etobicoke, and even now parts of Scarborough, versus other more suburban residential areas. And my, my question there was, so is there any way that people who live in certain parts of, in different configurations of the city, uh, have different relationships to others? In other words, um, do living in a neighborhood that's more residential, quiet, things like that, creates more or less trust in your neighbors and not only in your neighbors but beyond them? Like, kind of, do you trust people more if you're a person who's more used to that kind of environment versus a people who live in a city in a downtown core? Now, of course, that comes in also in, in, in at play with a history of displacement from the city centers. Uh, of marginalized populations uh, and Toronto is not exempt of that the fact that now one of the biggest shopping malls in the city the Eaton Centre is standing over what used to be a very poor part of the city and it was taken down to build that kind of you know infrastructure the same story as Madison Square Garden in New York and, and similar stories around, the, around, around um, in, in different parts of the world so there's a bit, of, there's a history of displacement, there's a history of why a downtown cores now are thriving, or at least before the pandemic had this experience, and now are coming back to that. Um, but in any case, that's kind of how the background of how I became interested in how the, the different levels of trust uh, that people say they have or in, in surveys and, 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 the, and that kind of studies uh, correlate with how the environments around them look like in terms of the num like how easy it is for them to walk around, to meet new people, to encounter uh, others, and, and things of that sort. No, this is a very interesting uh, topic, Fernando. Like I said earlier, <clears throat> I'm not familiar with this topic, but it, there are things that I that I found interesting, especially the when you mention about the trust depending on the places where you live or how the places have been designed then the level of trust either increases or decreases so that's something that's very interesting that i didn't know about that and also how depending on the number of people who live in the specific spaces they also the city or the streets or the houses etc are being designed so these encourage or discourage relationships and that's one of the things that it got me thinking because it's real. Like, there are places that you don't see places actually to to share with others or to or to have an exchange with conversations with others because of this how the, the the specific places of the city have been designed. So, following up on that question, you mentioned that obviously uh, you were talking about Toronto. So, I understand that you also have had a look at other cities such as your your own country, Lima, but also Bogota. So if you were to compare Canadian cities, specifically Toronto, to cities in, in Latin America, specifically Lima and or Bogota, what, 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 what are the things that you have found 
so far it doesn't have you don't have to give us the all the details but there might be a, a couple of thing, things that you want to see you want to tell us the difference or similarities between these cities like uh, in terms of uh, political structure of the cities the patterns etc is there anything similarities or differences that you have found um yeah so <clears throat> each study is slightly different than the others so i'm not doing exactly a comparison across the three with like the same research design i'm actually doing um, i'm trying to see different things in each of them but there are some elements that are worth highlighting when you actually do the comparison um, perhaps the one thing that um, it's it's particular to Toronto in terms of, of how it is um, how people interact with one another ha has to do with this the level of, of segregation or Toronto is one of the cities in North America that have a history of creating social housing in kind of landfill. And, and I'm not kidding, it's kind of like it's the spaces that nobody wanted when they were designing these uh, massive suburbs. So what happened was you create a highway that, get, that got you to near suburbs and then you had all these empty spaces near the highways. Nobody wanted to live near, near the highway because like, it's too noisy. So what they did created social housing. Right, like Jane like and Finch, and, and many other parts of the city have that structure. That's not unusual, but Toronto is perhaps one of the cities in North America that has that contrast more accentuated in, in many parts. It's kind of like you have these pockets around the city, so it's very... And, and that creates all of these different dynamics. For instance, when you see segregation in cities like Milwaukee and Chicago in the U.S., you see a very clear pattern of where poor racialized people live versus where richer, uh, wealthier white people live. Uh, in Toronto, it's, it's a bit different because of that history of how everything was designed here. But the fact of the matter is that that has had positive, of, and of course, a lot of negative consequences. But one of the positive things is that it's really hard to stigmatize a place. There are a few places in Toronto that are, are highly stigmatized, like you know, Finch and to certain point, Regent Park, Malvern, and, and others. But it's hard to stigmatize places because they are very different. That there's a lot of heterogeneity happening. There's not like a north side, right? Like, in like, uh, like it would be a south side in Chicago. Right. Um, now, comp compared to, to Latin American cities, I think. Um, the, the one element that strikes me as, as, as particularly relevant has to do with um, what the roles that ethnicity and class play in the way the cities are, are organized. Um, and I, th I, I think that's because whereas in, in cities like Toronto and other North American cities, the relationship between class and race um, you can disentangle them a bit more. It's not that they're not connected. It's just that it's easier to some extent to understand that in some in some context race is more prevalent than in in other contexts class is more prevalent. Uh, I think in Latin American cities, the way they're designed, class and 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 race and ethnicity are very like their connection is so close that it's very hard to tell when one thing is a play than the other of course at least in urban design not necessarily in other element parts of, of like of our daily lives especially when you're like stopped by a police officer mm -hmm. um, but so anyway so I, I, I came to think about this because of how for instance Lima the study about Lima has to do with fences walls and other forms of defensive infrastructure that has blocked parts of the streets 
to uh, to other people that are not from a specific neighborhood. And now you may think, oh, that, that's not new. That happens across the world, especially you know in, in highly unequal cities. Yeah, but the, the history is that while in most parts of the of North America, parts of Europe, and, and parts of Latin America, and even in, in in parts of the Philippines and Southeast Asia, and even in China, uh, this is usually around. This is usually around wealthy people. Like wealthy families tend to. Uh, fence off their neighborhoods. In Lima and in other cities, that all, that also happens too. But it's not; it's a bit understudied. People of middle income and lower middle income do the same thing. They try; they like the fear of the other, the fear of crime, victimization, things like that are so high that people have started to protect themselves through fences, gates, uh, walls, things like that. Um, that's something that you don't see in Toronto. Toronto has, it's really easy to connect places to go one or the other place. It's there, I, I've ha I still haven't really found gated communities except for like a couple of streets in like in an elbow that are like that you have a gate that says private street. But most of the, for, for the most part, they're very open. And and that of course has, a, has its own history and so forth. But that's one of the things about Lima that I found really interesting was that it's a city that, even though it also has a, a history of like cent like wealthier downtown and uh, poor peripheries and things like that, it's 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 been changing and and some of the parts of the city that we call districts, uh, they're like 45 uh, districts, or 50 if you count uh, Callao. There, the uh, even though parts of the city have become wealthier over time. The way this had wor has worked is that um, these the places with like higher heterogeneity uh, or have or that have higher income now they have becoming more uh, difficult to, to 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 navigate because of this fencing and things of and, and, and that kind of technology. Um, I, but the but the, the interesting thing about that it has to do with the fact that if you look at the people who live in those areas they're pretty much the same. So it's not wealthy people or rich people fencing off against poor people it's people who may be of similar income similar ethnic background but their fear but they have these high levels of fear of others or mistrust um, to the point that they decide to live in a smaller and a smaller uh, communities by protecting their streets and when you make that decision and it scales and it goes to different parts of the city then the city becomes really difficult to navigate especially parts of the city where you cannot move the comparison with bogota has to do with something that i've talked to yesid about and to other friends uh colombian friends and, uh, and one peruvian friend and i who uh, kind of showed me uh, or, or got me familiar with this because i think a lot of people from colombia are so used to it that don't see how special and unique that is mm -hmm. it has to do with uh, something you're familiar with that's the certification system for those of you who are not familiar with how Colombia has um, designed this certification system, it's the only country in the world where there is an people, well, houses are assigned social, uh, a particular social stratum based on how they look like, based on how their street looks like, and based on what kind of services are available to that community. And, and you probably can include some other things, but I think those are the main criteria. So in other words, 
it's not that they're assigning people in a system in like in a social focalization system or so of sorts sorry a, a social targeting system of, of sorts um, it's that they're assigning people to specific strata or based on how their houses look like uh, and that changes every few years and it gets updated but what that has resulted in is that you have the six levels of uh, these six social strata by which not only houses are defined but also people right like and that's affecting how it's affected how people relate to one another how people read the city they're living and of course my hypothesis is i still have to test this i only read studies but i haven't really tested it so far my hypothesis is that this has created a sense of uh, this is one of the elements that increased mistrust or that has narrowed the circle of people you trust in our countries on the one hand in, in cities like lima these experiences of victimization this massification or of like the, the use of mass the, of violence through mass media and the actual violence that people experience and in colombia uh, on top of all of that that's also similar you also have this social certification system that's basically saying i am a four <laughs> because i live in a, in a, in a, in a stratum in a strat, a stratum four versus you are a two we can't date <laughs> You know what? It's funny that Fernando is talking about that, that we're moving from space to space, and it's interesting uh, because this topic is, is I relate to this because I am from a stratum one in Colombia, and it is true that a person from a stratum one cannot talk with a person from stratum four, five, and six, and vice versa, because of this stratification as, and a social stratification that you name earlier and then this is the result of a system that classifies people right and i have discussed in other podcasts earlier that is is a system that otherizes put people or the other on the other side of the fence and in bogota and in lima and in other places in the global south is this idea that i need to protect myself from the other because i don't trust the other And why do I not trust the other? Because you don't look like me, because you are not like me, because you may steal from me. And that's the reason why, unlike Canada, that there is not necessarily this perception, and we don't see those walls that you mentioned earlier that divides one to the other. But, and you may agree with me or not, there is another invisible wall, an invisible fence, that uh, we may perceive the city as quote-unquote equal but there is there is the invisible wall that that we know you mentioned jane and finch here in toronto in canada it's a very segregated area that everybody knows that that is it's supposed it is it is supposed to be a um a not good uh, neighborhood yeah right and then you don't go there So, like in Colombia, a person from Stratum One don't talk to Stratum Four. While in Toronto, a person who lives in downtown uh, Toronto does not go to Jane and Fish because there's nothing to do over there. So, I think this is a very important conversation, Fernando. I think it is important that we're peeling the layers of of, of uh, how society in general stratifies humans. It doesn't matter where you live, but it's the idea of segregating people and measuring people and classifying people and Uh, through different places we have seen how people have found ways or technologies as you said earlier to make that 
classification of peoples, yeah. whether it is in Canada, in Toronto, or in Lima, in Peru, or in Bogota, in Colombia, but it is it is about that. In in my point of view, it comes from that mentality or that ideology that you are different than me, you are not like me, and then I'm going to put you in a different position. And when you come to that, then that's how you develop those systems. Um, something that I wanted to ask you, like, is, is a little bit of a segue, but also wrapping up before we move on to finish up, is you have lived in Lima, Peru, and you also told us in the beginning why it's so important the place where you were born and where you grew up you know like saying that ceviches are the most important ones you know <laughs> um all of these things so i wonder if you want to tell us now that you're living in in toronto and you have lived here for a while what's your favorite place and why is your favorite place in toronto oh man I really love this city. I have multiple favorite places, I would say. I, I will give you my top three. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We want to hear your top three. One of the, one of the places I really like is this street. I, I always forget the name. Uh, Lawrence Ma Market. Market. Yes. Yeah. That street that's surrounded by parks and co-ops and this kind of community living. That's amazing. I love that place. But why is it because there are spaces to walk there? Yeah. Tell us. So I think I, what I like about it is that it's the kind of environment I see myself living in. Mm. Um, um, environmentally, it's what we call in, in urban design, you would, you would call it meat rice buildings. So it's meat size development, which means you don't take as much space to create to have a lot of people living in but you're not building these tall towers that block sunlight mm -hmm. and create uh, wind tunnels and and, and, and urban canyons yep. um, so that and so it's like the I, I think the appropriate density there's also parks for children to playing there's uh, community centers there's schools that are I think are fairly are fairly good um, and there's like all this, there's a market nearby, there's uh, lots of grocery stores and a bit of restaurants, a, lot of, a sense of local community living within one of the most, one of the busiest parts of the city. So that's why I think I really like. Then, I don't know, I, I think I like a lot of, of a small neighborhoods in the city. I really like the beach. Uh, there's a neighborhood here called The Beaches and it has a lot of uh, it has like several beaches around it and usually it, when it's summer uh, you know see the sunset um, some summers here are, are, are really beautiful yeah and the beach is one of the best places to spend that uh, to spend the end of the day I really like it there perhaps the third place would be um, the area between Chinatown and Kensington Market Ooh, that's nice, yeah. and the whole reason is also because of how at home it makes me feel to be near. There's a Latin American store. That's, uh, there's two Latin American stores. Well, there are more than the two, but two of them are run by Peruvians. Nice. And I always get to uh, hang out with them whenever we go to, to get something. And there's a Chifa, which is a Peruvian-Chinese uh, fusion restaurant that's in Chinatown called New Sky. So that's a free advertisement for them. That's good. Yeah, that's a great place. It's a city that has all these little details about it that I really, really like. Yeah, and, and even though I haven't been, I have, I've only lived here about six years, I, I, I really think it's a city that makes you uh, want to stay. And, and I know it's imperfect and I know 
Um, there's not the kind of uh, poor housing that we've seen in Latin American cities, but there's a lot of lack of housing and homelessness and like yeah. a lot of social yeah. issues and addictions yeah. and yeah. things that we don't deal with the, the, the way and the city should. Yeah. Um, but still, there's a sense, I think, of, of at least in, in a lot of senses, in a lot of moments, I've seen this, uh, a sense of solidarity, a, a sense of meeting people and encountering others and, and being a bit more tolerant. And I know that's not across the board, but mm. it, it, it's been my experience and I really appreciate that. No, thank you so much. I think those are great places. I think I must agree with you on your choice of, of place, favorite places in Toronto. I, I, I wanted to say or talk about my favorite places, but I'm not going to say them. But what I want to say is one of the things that I don't like that I learned from this conversation, and we had this conversation before. One day when I went to the suburbs, I went by, like by bus because I don't have a car. And then I noticed something that I didn't notice before. In the suburbs, the streets or some of the streets or at least the streets that I walk by, uh, the the streets don't have sidewalks and I was like I I was walking I had the choice in between walking in the in the actual street in the pavement or jumping to the the people's lawns yeah and and I have to just go walk a little bit in the street a little bit on that and then I got me thinking something that you say today like there is there's a purpose why people build and construct and you know Uh, do these um, markings in the street, so to speak, and then you got me thinking, they don't like humans <laughs> in this place. Yeah. And I didn't know that, and I learned it later down the road, that that is because the suburbs people are used to use, use car to go anywhere. And then I found it very problematic yeah, for if, society. If you, if you jump on a bus in a suburb, you will encounter two populations that, are usual, uh, the, uh, that use it the most. Teenagers, because they can't drive yet yeah and elderly because they can't drive anymore that's it and the, so that's like these layers on the rest are in cars <laughs> yeah it's and it, it got me thinking like I, i don't necessarily want to live in the suburbs because so many reasons but this is one that got me thinking what are the reasons behind these designs of the cities right like a, a, anywhere that I, i live in chicago for 10 years i live in bogota and then i I, I, I saw I am, I am an urban person and I always see the sidewalk is the only space that we yeah. actually have as humans to move from one place to another yeah. so in a sense when I when I encountered that situation I felt less human but in order to wrap up today's uh, episode Fernando I want us to the, um, let us know to the audiences what can you learn or what have you learned about the work that you've done In sociology, geography, the cities, uh, patterns, etc. What, what have you learned so far about all of this work that you've done? Any, any highlights of the work? Yeah, I, I think that's something that one of my um, committee members at some point mentioned uh, as a way of, of framing my research that I thought was really cool was that I think part of what I do is to show how urban design and the way we think about space if it doesn't account for social elements for humans uh, that could potentially ex ex explore and live and if you don't decide if you design with a very limited kind of people in scope the result is exclusionary and you increase inequality and I think there's many ways we can prevent that in the way 
policy is is is, cre is created in design, and and I'm, I'm part of my interest is on social policy, specifically urban social policy, and I think what I've learned is that from reading at this policy is that often policy are the policy designs are made without taking a close attention paying close attention to a lot of these elements uh, I think um, researchers can do a better job at providing input that helps create cities that are more just and cities that um, allow more people to partake in this kind of uh, healthy um, uh, community sense of, of, of living. Yeah, Fernando, thank you so much for those thoughts and ideas that you have told us today. I think I'm going to leave our audience with a question. And because mainly our audience, this is not an easy topic to digest because especially the people that I know with, we are more into education and language and cultures. But in a sense, this is related to culture. And it's related to language in the sense, what is the language that's being portrayed out there? Meaning not the language, the language that we use, but what is the, the, the message that is being sent out when they build these cities or spaces where you live? So the question that I want you to ask yourself is, how was your city designed in such a way? And ask yourselves why, whenever you live out there, start questioning and asking why has this city changed why one day there were certain people living and now they're moving away and now we have these new people why are we paying more rent than before uh, why they are building more in certain parts of the city and not in some others etc etc so because this podcast is about that questioning um, things that happen in our lives and related to our cultures i think it's important to ask ourselves questions these questions like stop for a moment pause and ask why was this city designed in such a way or why was my neighborhood designed in such a way and 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 what can we do to challenge those those systems or those ideologies that um, started uh, the idea in the first place fernando thank you so much for coming today i really thank you for for the work that you've done and for coming today thank you All right, everybody, my name is Jesid Ortega, and this is Chasing Encounters. Once again, we have finished our season number five. We're going to come back probably later down the road, maybe in August or September. We don't know yet, but we wish you a happy 2021 summer. <laughs>